Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posted April 21, 2017, we talk with Indian business and defense expert Sarosh Bana about his recent WPJ blog post, Vietnam Acquires Undersea Power. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising. But first, this week's winners and losers report from Ian Bremer, president of Eurasia Group, Global Risk Consultants. Winners and losers, Theresa May calls snap general elections. Theresa May, winner, of course, she's likely to do much better right now. Good for her to call it. Scottish independence, on balance, loser. It's a couple years away if they have a referendum, and I have a hard time seeing this passing. But still, it's, uh, they're going to be in the news. EU negotiators, winner, actually, easier for them to negotiate when Theresa May has stronger unitary powers. Democracy in the UK, winner. We like general elections, right? They are democratic in the UK. Nigel Farage, winner. He's expected to stand again. Ah, it's going to be his eighth attempt to become an MP. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. Vietnam has received its sixth attack submarine from Russia amid rising Chinese assertiveness in the South China Sea. The submarine, a new diesel-electric kilo-class model named HQ-187 Bajaya Vũng Tàu, arrived in Gam Dan port in the southern Vietnam's Khánh Hòa province Friday morning and is expected to be officially received by the Vietnamese Navy on Monday. The delivery of a sixth Russian-built torpedo and cruise missile-capable submarine to Cameron Bay earlier this year, as reported on Vietnamese TV news. It marked both the end of Hanoi's most dramatic military upgrading since its war with the U.S. and the start of a wary new era, as Vietnam now has credible means to deter increasing Beijing aggressiveness and counterattack Chinese targets at sea and on land. The backstory of those subs and their implications for stability in the region are addressed in a recent post on the WPJ blog headline, Vietnam Acquires Undersea Power, by Sarosh Banna executive editor of Business India in Mumbai, and a frequent writer on policy, politics, defense, and foreign affairs. And we discussed it for this podcast. Sarosh Bana, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thanks very much, David. Glad to be here. Tell us first about the capability of these new class of submarines and why it's called, quote, black hole. The Project 66 kilo-class submarine has been dubbed the black hole by the U.S. Navy for its level of quietness. It has vastly improved stealth features through the removal of flooding ports and treating the hull with multi-layer and echoic rubber tiles. The tiles are fitted on casings and fins to absorb active sonar waves that reduce and distort the return signal. They also shield sounds from within the submarine, thus reducing the range of detection by passive sonar. So you can see that uh, quietness plays a very major role in the purchase and uh, production of submarines. We should stress that these are diesel submarines, not the nuclear submarines we generally read so much about. Uh, What can you tell us about the armament uh, Vietnam subs are expected to get? The P-636 is designed primarily for anti-submarine and anti-ship, anti-surface ship warfare, as well as for general reconnaissance and uh, patrol missions. And it offers enhanced combat effectiveness. 
It, the the uh, submarines with Vietnam are to be armed with 18G201 radar-guided torpedoes launched from six 533mm forward tubes or alternatively 24AM1 underwater mines and torpedo tube launch clubs. The export version of the caliber cruise missiles of the Russian Navy that have garnered much attention in the ongoing Russian-Syrian conflict. The submarine also has a multi-purpose combat and command system that provides information for effective submarine control and torpedo firing. It is also capable of detecting an enemy submarine at a range three, or four, three to four times greater than it can be detected itself. And the 280-kilometer range Novator Clubes land attack cruise missiles will accord Vietnam a potent deterrent that fears China's strategic calculations in the South China Sea. In May 2015, it was reported that Vietnam had taken delivery of 28 of these uh, precision strike missiles that can be used against ships and cities in China and Chinese military installations. How long has it taken Vietnam to acquire this six-boat fleet and at what cost? The cost of the entire contract has been $3.2 billion and uh, uh, a contract was uh, signed in December 2009 by Vietnam's Ministry of National Defense and Russian ex arms exporter Rosovoran Export. And it came to be one of Moscow's largest uh, 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 contracts for naval hardware. The deal was for building and supplying the boats, weaponizing them, training Vietnamese crews in Russia, and building a submarine facility at the Kamran Bay Deepwater Harbor. The first of the six submarines was commissioned in January 2014, followed by the commissioning three months later of the second. The third and the fourth joined service in August 2015, and Vietnam took delivery of the fifth in February 2016, while the last one was transferred just in January last, uh, two months back. And they will be operating under the People's mm -hmm. Army of Vietnam Navy's uh, Army of Vietnam Navy Submarine Brigade 189. You say Moscow backtracked at one point to avoid upsetting China. Tell us about that and how you see, how you see completion of the submarine deal affecting Moscow-Beijing relations. Well, in the late 1980s, Vietnam had wanted to acquire its first submarine from the Soviet Union. It actually had selected a crew and had trained, trained the crew on a Project 641 diesel submarine deployed with the Soviet Pacific fleet. But the program was suspended by General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev out of concerns about pro provoking China. Vietnam's hopes to acquire submarines went into abeyance with the collapse of the USSR. As regards your second question, one must realize that both Russia and China have been becoming more politically and militarily assertive and are today the two principal forces challenging the United States in global policymaking. Both powers have also shown their hegemonistic ambitions, Russia and its annexation of uh, Crimea and China in the South China Sea. In that sense, their intensifying involvement on the world stage is to an extent supportive of each other's interests. Last September, the Chinese and Russian navies conducted their largest ever bilateral com combat exercises over eight days. It was called Joint Sea Exercise 2016, and they were not noteworthy not only for their size, but also for their location. It was in the South China Sea. And they signed a strategic partnership agreement in 2014, following which they forged a 40-year gas supply deal, and uh, uh, it entails construction of the power of Siberia gas pipeline. And they also have another deal 
with uh, Russia's largest oil company, Rosneft, for supply of oil worth up to $500 billion to China. Their relations also be shaped by how Washington-Moscow relations develop under Trump and Putin. So, in a way, it's not surprising that both Vietnam and China are buying arms from Russia. Exactly. But, uh, uh, but there is no irony in that because arms merchants the world over have been motivated more by profits than by ideals and international considerations. The United States, too, has been supplying arms to both India and Pakistan. Concerns may be raised in the appropriate diplomatic and political fora, but they are often overridden by commercial military interests. And uh, you note that Russia is not Hanoi's only major ally. Talk about the Indian connection. Well, India and Vietnam have traditionally enjoyed very close relations, though both are largely mindful of not antagonizing the Chinese. Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India visited uh, Vietnam last year, and his visit strengthened these ties even further. Defense cooperation has been pivotal in the cooperation between the two countries. And uh, Narendra Modi announced a $500 million line of credit for Vietnam in this regard. There have been also talks of Vietnam buying the BrahMos anti-ship supersonic cruise missiles. And India also imparts training to Vietnamese armed forces, uh, uh, both officers and men. And both the countries have also agreed to tap into growing economic opportunities in the region, recognizing the need to deepen and strengthen defense and security cooperation. And India has also pledged $5 million to set up a software park in Vietnam. And Vietnamese companies were also invited to India to take advantage of the various schemes of the government. After all this, how does Vietnam's submarine fleet and naval power overall compare with China's? One thing one needs to realize is China is the second largest economy in the world and does not conceal its desire to expand its profile and have influence across the globe. Its military might is stupendous, and this Asian giant has a GDP exceeding $11 trillion and has a defense budget of $450 billion, though unofficially it is well over $200 billion. Vietnam, in uh, contrast, is a very small country. It borders China, and it has a GDP of a little over $200 billion and a defense budget of a little over $5 billion. China has already started building its own uh, maiden aircraft carrier, which is scheduled for completion next year. Four such conventionally powered carriers are planned to be eventually built. Beijing ha- at present has a lone carrier, the Liaoning, that it bought in an unfinished form from Ukraine in 1998 and which joined the People's Liberation Army Navy in 2012 after major refurbishment. And China has been extending its blue water presence in its neighborhood through the establishment of a major surface fleet and nuclear submarine base on the Hainan Island in the South China Sea and the deployment of precision crews and advanced ballistic missiles that can target all current U.S. bases and naval forces in the region. China besides has 53 diesel electric submarines, 12 of them Russian-made kiloclass submarines, 2 of them of the original Project 877 design and 10 of the improved Project 636 design. And Beijing also undoubtedly has one of the largest fleets of attack submarines that includes four ballistic missile submarines and six nuclear-powered attack submarines. It is now close to deploying a powerful undersea nuclear deterrent with four of its type 094 Jin class SSBNs having been produced and one more in production 
each to be armed with 12 GL-2 missiles that can deliver one-ton nuclear warheads at a range of 4320 nautical miles. What are the main issues in contention between Beijing and Hanoi currently? Well, China has competing claims in the South China Sea with Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Brunei, with each claiming parts of the Paracel and Spratly Island chains, and Philippines claiming the Scarborough or Panatak Shoal. In 1988, China and Vietnam waged a naval battle within the Spratly Islands in which 64 Vietnamese perished, and China took control of the Johnson South Reef. Vietnam has also protested against China's deployment of an oil rig in the disputed waters since 2014, and against Beijing's opposition that led India to withdraw from its joint oil exploration with Petro-Vietnam in the Phu Khan Basin. Vietnamese fishing craft besides clash frequently with Chinese trawlers near the disputed islands. Where and how do you see the new Vietnamese subs coming into play in these matters? What vulnerabilities could they exploit given China's huge overall military and especially nuclear advantage? Well, David, how they would come into play and uh, it's difficult to fathom because it will all depend on the developments in the region and also, of course, the timing of the developments. But uh, as regards the vulnerabilities, it has been observed that these ballistic missiles make Vietnam 6 6 6 submarines more powerful than their Chinese counterparts as they are only allowed to be exported to India, Vietnam and Algeria, and they have not yet been cleared for China's 66 MKs. But China, however, is no sitting duck. The People's Liberation Army Navy has deployed three types, uh, like I mentioned, Jin-class SSBNs at Hainan, and possibly also its Type 093 Shang-class SSN. Its latest conventional Song and Yuan-class submarines with air-independent propulsion are also based at Yalong Bay. And as Vietnam transitions from a two-dimensional to a three-dimensional force, it has to be mindful of the fact that also China has a daunting naval force. Submarines can be the great equalizer, especially when they are near impossible to detect and have recourse to effective firepower. Chinese experts feel that while Beijing need not fear a submarine threat from Vietnam, this cannot be underestimated either. It's easy enough to imagine naval confrontations escalating disastrously for non-nuclear Vietnam. Is there enough political sense and will on both sides to avoid going that far? Uh, for this question, it is reasonable to question how far China is prepared to go to realize its ambitions. Beijing is juxtaposing the pursuits of its, pursuit of its interests with the implication that this may have on the region. It would certainly be foolhardy if it were to trample on its neighbors and start some conflagration that may jeopardize the region and have ramifications across the world. See, it is largely to a seaborne trade that China owes its spectacular economic transformation, whether 61% of its population living in extreme poverty in 1990 shrank to only 4% by 2015. One study reckons that of the 4 billion tons added to global seaborne trade between 2002 and 2014, Chinese imports accounted for 94% of the increase in iron ore volumes and 35% in coal volumes, while Chinese exports accounted for 60% of the expansion in container trade. China has been extending its blue water presence in its neighborhood so as to ensure safe passage 
through its maritime trade and expand its commercial footprint. So they don't want that commercial viability damaged by uh, uh, continuing and escalating warfare on the water or below it. One aspect of it, and China is also very keen of exploiting the mineral resources, the very, very rich mineral resources in the South China Sea and the uh, littoral, because uh, that uh, entire resource base has yet to be, you know, the potential has yet to be exploited quite fully. Do you see Vietnam becoming involved in any way in the rising tension involving North and South Korea and Beijing in the region? Well, I would assume that uh, Hanoi would de deem it prudent in not getting involved. After all, any such involvement would scarcely further its interests. So what overall impact from Hanoi's new subs do you see on stability or instability in the region? Vietnam submarines will be more like a spoke of a wheel but pressing the military resolve of other small nations in the littoral, seeking to safeguard their territorial and resource interests from an unpredictable China. But there is a larger picture here. While the Indo-Asia-Pacific has historically been driven by commercial interests, the widening unrest in the sea lanes that are the, that are the lifeline of this region may eventually compel the validity of a military front like the North, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. At least that is my belief. And much in the manner in which China's growing might is being perceived today, this 28-member grouping was founded in 1949 in response to the threat posed by the then USSR to deter Soviet expansionism. NATO had codified cooperation and military preparedness among the co-signatories by stipulating that an armed attack against one or more of them shall be considered an attack against them all. A NATO-like platform may not evolve very soon, but it appears inevitable in the light of the rising volatility in the region. The similarities between now and at the time of NATO's creation cannot be lost. Yet the US and China have a high-stakes relationship. The two-way trade alone touched $579 billion in 2016. At times, the consideration deludes the various powers that the Indo-Asia-Pacific is big enough for all of us. Sarosh Bana, thank you. Thank you very much, David. It was a pleasure. Sarosh Bana is executive editor of Business India in Mumbai and a frequent writer on policy, politics, defense, and foreign affairs. His post on the WPJ blog is headlined, Vietnam Acquires Undersea Power. Since we spoke... A more subtle use of Cameron Bay by Vietnam vis-à-vis -vis China has emerged. Despite Hanoi's policy of three no's, no military alliances, no foreign bases, no joining with another country to fight a third, it is making a port facility there available to any foreign military vessels willing to pay for fuel and maintenance, thus strengthening military ties to a variety of nations. Of 19 visits since the facility opened, according to a report in The Economist, China and the U.S. each have made three, but almost all the rest were by ships of countries that have to some degree opposed expansive Chinese maritime claims, France and Japan foremost among them. It was also announced this week that President Trump will visit Vietnam in November when he attends a trio of Asian summit meetings. in the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line, Fascism Rising, you'll find articles on Donald Trump's savage capitalism, the battle to control Ukraine's future through its past, 
and how the left can right itself, plus the retro-macho politics of Brazil and the infrastructure of counterinsurgency. And listen next week when our podcast will consider how human rights may actually benefit by Trump backing away from a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian problem. World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, online news editor Laurel Jerombeck, podcast producer Anna Grace Carter. I'm David Alpern. Thank you.